Have you ever wondered how you can launch once you have a really good niche dialed? Well, today I have a very special, special guest for you. Tavana Denise, who is a launch strategist for coaches, also who is about to become a master certified life coach, is here with me. And we're going to talk about all things niche and all things launch. Take a listen. Welcome to the Niche Podcast, where we talk about everything related to your niche. It's all about your niche, your mindset, and having a business you love. I'm your host, mental health expert, Veronique Valencourt. Hello, my friends. I am just so excited to be here today. I have a very, very special guest. I have been watching my calendar and excitedly waiting for the day that I get to interview her. Her name is Tavana Denise. She is an, I'm going to just say, she's a master certified life coach as well as a certified life coach with the Life Coach School. She is absolutely fabulous. She is a launch strategist for coaches. And today she and I are going to talk about all things related to niche and niche drama and launches. So welcome, Tavana. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to dive in and talk about all the things. (laughs) Well, and I know that when you and I were corresponding about setting this up, you were like, I have a lot of thoughts and opinions and information I want to impart to you and your listeners regarding niche drama. And so the first question I always ask my guests is tell me what your niche is and who do you work for? It's so interesting. And I know we'll get into how I got here, but I am a launch strategist for coaches. And even more recently, I would say specifically for coaches who are successful in their one-on-one practice and they're ready to move to groups. And so what I do is I help them sell it, fill it and deliver it. Oh my God. So needed. So good. I love it. Okay. And so then that leads to the next question, which is how did you choose that niche? What was the sort of road you took and what was the process that led you there? How'd you figure it out? Such a windy road. So I'm going to give you the abbreviated (laughs) version. No, take your time. We got time to chat. Okay, cool. So when I started in the life coach school back in 2014, we didn't have any business training. It was like, this is the skill of coaching. Now go forth and conquer. And I had had a history in business. I had a physical therapy contracting company. My first business before I even had my physical therapy license was in multi-level marketing. And I also had an alternative fitness event company. So I had a lot of background in business. And when we started, I was a weight coach. What happened because I had the, it was a natural lead in from the alternative fitness event company because fitness is only one part of the process. And so I was able to get that up and running fairly quickly and have clients and everything, paid clients and other coaches were asking me, how did you do that so quickly? Because they were trying to figure things out. Part of it was my business background. Part of it was just my love for health and fitness, being a physical therapist. And part of it was, and I tell all the people about this, this book called The 4-Hour Workweek. Oh, yes. Tim Ferriss. Yes. He's incredible. He is. And that was like my first 
introduction into internet marketing in which I started dabbling in that back in 2008. And so I had all of these things in my back pocket, which I believe were responsible for me being able to get set up so quickly. So I shifted from life and weight coaching to business coaching to support my friends who were coaches and they were asking me. So I did that for a while, had a hiatus in there, finding myself and all the good things. And when I came back to Atlanta, I said, I'm just going to do physical therapy for a while, stay with my contracting work and just see what happens. And in the process, I started getting, I say they were hemming me up in the break room (laughs) (laughs) And I was just basically coaching half the day of people, my friends who were such vibrant healthcare professionals that had turned into walking zombies right before my eyes. And so I was like, oh, it's time to get back into coaching again because I love it. And it turned into burnout coaching for healthcare professionals because that's what I had done for the longest since 2001. What I found in doing that was I was like, okay, I know thoughts create feelings, aka burnout, and it's creating what I see them doing and not doing and the results that they're having in their jobs. Let me see if I can help them. And I created a burnout resilience program for the rehab department in the hospital. That's so good. And by the way, like my starting was like, I have a master's degree in social work. So I was a medical social worker. So, oh, wow. I love y'all. Such a needed program. Yeah. 100%. So, I mean, I love y'all. Y'all are some of my favorite people. We worked, of course, so just a side note and geek out for a second. Of course, physical therapists work with the social workers all the time. So All the time. We're like each other's buddies. That's why I just probably adore you without even knowing you all that well. (laughs) Exactly. So I'm over here in the burnout situation and all the red tape of going through hospitals because it was a 10 hospital system and I was going to do the footwork to get it approved for the rest of the hospitals. And what I've noticed was that the business aspect kept calling to me. And there's one thing to do career coaching, life coaching, but I'm a business coach at heart. And so I just couldn't stomach just talking about the manager is not listening to my ideas. I want to talk about like, okay, you want autonomy? How do you get it? And to me, the best way to get it is to have your own business so you can call the shots. And so that's how I made the transition from burnout coaching to I was helping women in healthcare make the transition from healthcare to coaching. Coaching. And so from there, when I was, of course, we're making a transition, they're new to business. They don't know anything about business. And because I had been in business for so long, what I started to notice was that I just really want to work with the people who are more at an intermediate level and help them in the messy middle where you've gotten some traction, you know how to market a little bit. Well, you've done some things, you've been throwing spaghetti at the wall and some of it's sticking, but you haven't really evaluated what you're doing so you can be more systematic and methodical about it. With that, I reached out to one of my coaches who's a marketing coach and I said, hey, I have this idea but I'm the picture in the frame and I can't quite see what's happening here. So I went up to her for a a VIP weekend so I could just have her look at my brain and look at my stuff. And we were in session on the second day. It was Saturday, Sunday on the second day. And we were going through some of the stuff. Something wasn't clicking, wasn't clicking. And so she's just talking to me, asking me questions. 
And she said, well, we need to be a little more specific. Like, yes, you've been doing general business coaching, but what's your thing? Well, I said, I love events. I've been doing them forever. And she said, that's it. You can help people launch. And it never occurred to me because I had been launching since I came back, like events to me are the kickoff of a launch. And everything that I had done once I decided to come back into coaching in 2000, mid 2018 was would do launches. And I would get groups of people to start with me because in the hospital, my thought was I didn't have time to be doing one-on-one coaching. I needed everybody in a group because I was still working at the hospital. So I would launch groups every few months. That's so fascinating. You say that because often when people are struggling to figure out their niche, the secret sauce for them is something that they are really good at doing that they don't feel is all that special. Like they're just like, yeah, can't everybody do that? Like, can't every, doesn't everybody know how to like, duh. And so <laughs> like, it, that's actually when I talk about the coaching I do as a niche drama coach and like the course that I'm offering now, dial your niche in five hours. That's one of the modules is what is just so easy to you that you take it for granted, but other people are looking at you going, Oh my goodness. Like where, how do you do that? Like, and it's a superpower. It's your superpower. It's probably one of many superpowers, but that's so cool that within that context, you figured that out. Cause you probably alone, you're like you said, you were the picture in the frame. So probably on your own, it would have been very hard to see it for yourself. Oh, hundred percent. It was, it was very frustrating for me because I kept saying to my friends, I said, I'm doing this thing. And I don't know what it is. And I don't know how to call it. I just, I'm doing this thing. That's what I kept saying. And as she listened to everything that I was doing, it was like, oh, that's it. It was almost like (laughs) the skies opened up and harps started playing and (laughs) all of that. Yep. Because I'm like, oh, it it can house all of my interests while still being very specific. And so I was on cloud nine and I am just so grateful for that conversation. Uh Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's that sort of alignment of like, oh, it's all the things I've done in the past. It's all the things that I want to do in the future. And it's the stuff that internally I'm really, really good at. But I'd say like most of the time, figuring that out requires somebody else holding a mirror up to you and being like, well, here's how we weave those together. So that's so cool. And so how did the niche drama come in? Was it before? Was it after? Oh, it came in after. So I had no drama about the niche when she said it. I was like, yes. And it was off to the races. Like I immediately knew what to do. I'm like, I do this all the time. I, I was like, oh, I can see all the people. And I was telling all the people about it. Oh, that's so awesome. That launch was incredible success because I wrote off the excitement and certainty. Like I know what to do. I know how to do this. I know how to help people. Mm-hmm. So that was getting people into the group. Now the drama came after. (laughs) (laughs) And it often does. It totally often does. So tell me about the drama that came up after. Yeah, it came up after because it's one thing to be like, yes, I know what to do in this situation, but can I guide someone else through the process? And so 
I, of course, had to launch. I had a group of people. We're working through the process and I'm looking at this thing and I'm like, wait a minute. Why aren't people like some people weren't doing the things and some people were having resistance of their own niche drama. So I was noticing these things. But at the time with my human brain, I was like, oh, my God, I suck. This is terrible. I should never do this again. This was probably a terrible idea. Let's pack it up and go home. Like I'm a phony, I'm a fake, I'm a failure, I all of the things. And so we got through that round and it's interesting what the brain will do to try to pull you back to the old comfort zone. And thank goodness for my coaches and my friends who held the mirror up to me to say, okay, let's look at the data and stop looking at the drama for a second. What do we actually have here? Well, first of all, it was your first time going through this process with this niche and this group of people. Okay, so why do you expect to have knocked it out of the park the first time? And I'm like, all right, fair enough. I think about my first patients. God bless those people. (laughs) I feel exactly the same way, you know, in anything when you start, it's like, uh, but yes, so that you were a beginner. You were a beginner. In this particular niche, guiding people, like not to the process for myself, but guiding others through. I'm like, okay. And then we looked at for data, like, okay, who was in the audience going through the process? And where were they and what parts did they get hung up on? It's just an opportunity to make some changes there. And so it took a while of being in the drama and looking at the different places and like, are you sure? Are you sure I don't really suck? You sure? Like these kinds of things. Now I can see, and it helped me to really refine, to actually take a look and look at the data, really try to evaluate with an objective eye as opposed to the subjective eye, me, self. Well, and this is what our brain does. Like when it comes to, I talk about this a lot with my clients. So there's the niche drama and it's a hurdle. This is just your brain keeping you safe, right? Like, let's not use too much energy. Let's stay in the cave. Like, let's not do scary things. And so the niche drama is sort of the first hurdle. Then the next one is, you know, it can be offer drama or whatever it is, but it's normative for your brain to keep defaulting back to this. This is a really bad idea. I suck. I'm really, this shit, this is not a good idea. And Once I think coaches learn that your brain defaulting to that, it doesn't stop, right? Like it can be your niche, then it's your website, then it's your offer, then it's your first launch, then it's your second launch. It gets easier. But I suspect even with the, in my experience, like with even the higher level coaches, like that brain drama is just part of the 50-50. Like you're always going to have some brain drama about Something. something. About something. Every launch is slightly different. And every launch, there's some drama about something. It's like when we can normalize it, I'm not even saying not make it a problem, but just like normalize it, then it has less energy. It has less power over you. It takes less energy to move with or move through. Yeah. I can even give you a perfect example with that. So I've been a psychotherapist in mental health. So I started out in social work and then I went to, I have a small private practice now, even now, 25 years in, I still wake up in the morning and I'm like, who put me in charge of these people's brains? (laughs) This is a really bad idea, really bad idea. And I've been doing this for a long time. And I go, oh yeah, that's just the part of my brain that does that. 
It's just the background noise. And it's the same thing with the niche drama. It's the same thing with the offer drama. It's the same thing when you're making a million dollars, I would suspect $50 million, your brain is always going to default to that. What if something bad happens? Because we're trying to keep ourselves safe. But as I say, like the bears outside the door don't really exist. It's just that our brains have not caught up yet. Right. Absolutely. One of the things that I tell my clients is like, you get that soul. Yes. When we are in a calm, relaxed state, there's no pressure, it's no stress. We're not actually making an offer to anybody. We're just dreaming and brainstorming. There is usually a moment, and I'm sure you've experienced this with your clients too, where you're like, yes, that's it. Like everything in your spirit says, yes, that is the real yes. Before Mm -hmm you actually have to go make an offer to somebody. You actually have to go change your bio on social media. You actually have to go whatever that puts it out for people to accept or reject. And so I think one of the most important things that we can do is honor that soul's yes and keep it front and center and say, no, when everything was calm, this was the yes. And so nothing has gone wrong. We always point back to that yes, because Everything wants us to play small, play safe, play comfortable. And the brain is a tricky, am I allowed to curse on here? Um, <laughs> She's a tricky uh, witch. How about There that? you go. Witch and, with a B. There we go. <laughs> yeah. And she will try to hold you down, but not from a malicious place. It's just like, we just like it here. It's safe and comfortable and warm and cushy and all of that. And so I think it's important for all of us to just pay attention to that initial yes and know that that is what we keep paying attention to. Positive stuff to me, it's always that if that's your higher level intuitive thinking and that witch that wants to keep you down, it's a playing small. It's the part of your brain that's just trying to keep you safe. And it's the part of the brain that like, if you really look at how we're wired, it's like we don't want to be left behind by the tribe. And so like, don't show up too big because you may get rejected or you may not be included or whatever, but that's a normal part of the biology of our brains, but it's outdated. Like it's just really outdated. Nothing bad is going to happen. And it's also the part of our brain that really tries to focus on not letting us fail, right? Because like, oh, God forbid we fail. Like nothing bad happens if you don't get it right the first time. It's just information. I mean, here's my question for you. Do you still have brain drama? I know I do. Uh, Yes. (laughs) It's annoying, (laughs) isn't it? (laughs) Yes. A little bit sometimes. And I'm like, oh, okay, fine. I think it's important to just know that it will always be there. Because I think for me, one of the reasons why I had some periods of burnout in my business was because I was rushing so much to get there whatever the goal was for the moment, because the goal was always changing once I got there. And I think for me personally, the rush was I'm trying to hurry up and get there so that I can be comfortable again. But the problem is, as soon as you get to the goal, you're off to the races with the next goal. So it doesn't make, and this has just been my experience, it doesn't make sense to keep putting yourself off and your vacation and your rest and your personal dreams off in order to get to the goal. Because when you get there, even if there is comfort, it's only like for a second. 
because we are evolving beings. There's always going to be some other thing that we want to be, do, or have. And so it just helped me stop rushing around so much to just realize, okay, this is fairly normal, this feeling, and I, I can't run away from it. Well, and I call that the happily ever after trap. If you think of how we're socialized, like when you're a little kid, you're like, I can hardly wait till I get in kindergarten. And then I can hardly wait till I get to middle school. And then I can hardly wait till I get to high school and then to college and then my first job and this and that. And we're just on this hamster wheel trying to reach that place of like, it's going to be really good when... And then like at the end of your life, you end up, I can hardly wait till retire. And then like most of the time people, when they retire, they're like, I don't know what this is it. Like what? So that brain defaulting in that same way, being able to recognize like the happiness is not out there. It's in the moment. It's here and the discomfort will come and it will go. It's challenging to stay there, right? Because People will listen to you and I, and they will say, they will hear us say this. And they're like, but I'm different. Like, oh, they say that, but I think that's the trick of the brain too. And then it's also looking at people who are celebrities or, you know, that we look up to and we think that they don't go through that process either. That like, I think that's how our brains are wired. That's why I love what I do because having been a therapist for so long and looking at people and how their brains work and then tying in now this niche work, we just think that like over there after the next hurdle, then everything's going to be fabulous and we're going to escape the 50-50. And we never escape it. Threats. I know, (laughs) I know. But that's part of being human. You know, anybody who's not happy 50% of the time and sad or frustrated 50% of the time, my watch keeps dinging. So it's agreeing with what we're saying right now. It's going ding, ding. Tell me what advice you've had several fabulous niches along the way. And it just like, it's like you had one and then like you shifted and shifted and shifted. What advice do you have for life coaches who are starting out trying to decide on a niche? I would say whatever you pick, let it be something that feels like fun, that feels like you and know that it's still going to be work Mm -hmm. and make money in the niche before you change. I mean, everything that I've done, even though I changed a lot, always made money in it. I always work with people in it because when you actually can work with people, you can say with real life experience, I like this part of it. And I don't like this part of it, as opposed to just guessing and keeping yourself out of the game altogether. Well, and everything that you've described that you've done has built upon itself in a way. It may not have been like the most linear way, but even from the very beginning of what you were talking about, you were doing before you were a life coach. To me, everything, that path that we're on, everything fits together. We just can't see it in the moment. We can't see, like, I couldn't see how being a medical social worker was going to ever serve me and being a therapist would ever serve me in like getting certified the first time and then spinning in niche drama for like way too long and then getting certified a second time, but it all builds on itself Mm -hmm. and you keep building, but it's not a linear road. I think also we have this idea society wise that like, we need to get it perfect right out of the gate. It don't work like that (laughs) at all. There is no way I could be where I am right now today if I waited for it to be perfect out of the gate. 
I mean, yes, for sure. What I do today is an iteration of what I was doing when I started business coaching, for sure. But I couldn't have seen this. Well, you wouldn't have made the connections, even if you think about like the people you met along your journey, probably still are people that impact you, have tied back. Like you just don't know how what you're doing or what you've done in the past is going to help you along the road at all. I came across Brooke Steph, the Life Coach School. Tavana and I are both certified through the Life Coach School, which is run by Brooke Castillo. But I wouldn't have found her stuff had I not been reading another author, Martha Beck. You just don't know how things are going to tie together. One of the things I tell my clients when I'm working with them is just put one foot in front of the other. Don't spend too much time sitting in your head because it will not be useful. I wish I had had my course way back in the day because I do think it would have helped. The modules talk about things like where how your past fits in with this, what's fun in the future, what your superpowers are, and then like a huge component on like brain drama and niche drama, which is normal. Brain drama is normal. normal. It is normal, 100%. And I think one of the reasons why we have a fear of committing is because we think that there won't be enough people and that will be ruined and all of these other thoughts. And so one of the things I encourage my clients to do is say, okay, if insert scary thing happens, then I will what? Like come up with some kind of plan so that you can calm your brain down and say, hey, we have a plan. If this thing that you're worried about happens, I got you. We already got the plan. We got the evacuation route planned out. Yeah. So I think that's super important for us to just to like calm down because when we're in more of a calm state, we can be in a more of a creative state. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. When you're sort of freaked out and in indecision, that's your fight or flight brain. Like that's your fear brain. You can't come up with the creative ideas. I always talk about the difference between being in a harsh judgment of ourselves and being in a calm curiosity. Calm curiosity is where all the good stuff comes from. But you don't spend 24-7 there. At least I don't think what you said you, you do either. No. So I want to let people know who are listening to my podcast, how to find you because you're such a great resource. I tend to help people get their niche dialed. And then like, I'm like, okay, that's where my skill set ends. And what you are doing next in terms of launch stuff is so important for my clients and people who are listening. Why don't you give me your details for my listeners to hear. If you are like, you've gotten your niche dialed in and you've gotten some traction and your one-on-one practice is starting to fill up and you're like, Hey, I think I might be ready for a group. Then it might be time for us to talk. I am everywhere on the interwebs at Tavana Denise, and that's spelled T-A-V as in Victor, O-N-A, and Denise, D-E-N-I-S-E, that's .com. That's at Tavana Denise on Instagram and also Facebook. Awesome. And listen, folks, go check her out. She is not only amazing and lovely to interview, she's doing such good work out there and helping coaches get to the next level. It's just been a treat talking with you today. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Tavana. Thank you for having me. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, go check out my course, Dial Your Niche in Five Hours. You'll be really glad you did. Thank you.